Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am so happy to have Leah Sindelar. Did I say that right? Yes. With, you, with me today to talk on grief and happiness. And I, she had a very special experience with, with her father that I wanted her to share with you because to me, it's kind of like how I would love for everything to be. So <laughs> <laughs> just tell us your story there, please. Yeah. Yeah. So my father, he passed away, I believe it was the spring of 2018 or 19. It's kind of funny as the years go on, you kind of forget <laughs> the years. But before, so he had pancreatic cancer and it was a very short period between the time that, you know, we found out the diagnosis and the time of his passing. And at that time I was living out in Los Angeles. So I was, you know, flying back and forth for doctor's visits, that kind of stuff. And I remember because on the very last trip that I came at that point, he couldn't really speak. And so what really stuck out to me was that very last trip, the one prior, before I went back to Los Angeles, the last words that he spoke to me were be happy. And that like, I remember it's so interesting, like, being able to look back at where I was then and how I perceived it and how, you know, being three or so years out, how I perceive it differently now. But of course, back then I was so angry, right? Because we ultimately, we knew where it was heading. You know, his health had declined so rapidly that it was pretty obvious and it it would take like a miracle really for him to bounce back. So him telling me to be happy, I was just enraged. You know, I was kind of just like, how, how are you telling me to be happy? One, because of the situation that we're in is really anything but (laughs) happy. Right. And two, he spoke of it in such a way, like it was a choice. And in my experience, I hadn't really ever felt or really explored, I guess you could say the option that happiness would be a choice. You know, I just, I did things that were fun or I did things that I liked and I thought they brought me happiness or they made me happy, you know? And so when he said that, I remember just like thinking and just that just was on repeat in my head as I was headed to the airport, just be happy, be happy. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, try this. And throughout the years, you know, it kind of just, that always stuck with me. And my grieving process was very, you know, different than a lot of people. I went through different phases of denial, you know, and then overcoming through it and feeling like, you know, I need to be the rock in the situation for everybody in my family. And so it's kind of, it's definitely, it's been a journey. And now I'm, I'm starting more to settle into this energy of, oh, be happy. It really is a choice. You know, it it is something that we get to choose. And we even, you know, we didn't throw him a funeral. We threw him a celebration of life. We're like, let's make a party out of it. You know, it was like a big event almost instead of 
a funeral to come and be sad because, you know, he, he was older. My father was in his seventies. He, he lived a great life. Like looking back, he had, I was the last of five children for him, you know? So (laughs) he had done a lot in his life. He had worked many jobs, done tons of things. So it was like, okay, this is a natural process of life. This is the one thing that we know is guaranteed for everyone. So how do we embrace it and how do we go about it with, in a way of being happy? And it's like, of course, you're never going to be truly happy about the situation just because it is sad. It's a big process having somebody leave their physical body and no longer being able to communicate with them then that way. So it's been a journey. It sounds like it's been a actually ultimately positive journey for you with uh, what's been going on. And I admire how you handle it. And I was thinking you, you had just told me that you have a baby. And I wondered if your feelings about being happy and what your dad said to you have changed any since you had the baby. Or if you're, you're recognizing happiness more now that you have the baby. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's one of the greatest gifts that children have to teach us is because they're so present. You know, they're so in the now, in the moment, and they're so absorbed in just kind of their immediate surroundings, you know? So our son, he doesn't watch television. He doesn't look at our phones for as far as he knows, they don't really exist too much. So he's so much just immersed in his own environment. And so, yeah, he has his like ups and downs, but there's you know, he doesn't know what's going on in the world right now. And so just being able to see him in his now present moment and see how happy he is, because people would say that all the time. Like we started going to these markets and he got the nickname, like the smiling baby and the happy <laughs> baby, you know? <laughs> so like he's known for that, for just being smiley, happy, go lucky type kid. So I think, yeah, I, I think kids are definitely one of our biggest teachers and being present and finding the joy and the happiness in the now moment. Yeah, it, it sounds like your your uh, dad might have had a little to do with that, with passing on that happiness to him too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you wanted for him? I know when when I was when my children were little, people used to, you know, women and talk, and they go, "What do you want your child to be when they grow up?" And I, I always said, "I want my children to be happy." You know, it, it, what, whatever they chose to do didn't really make a whole lot of difference to me. I just wanted whatever it was to, to make them happy so they could be happy and spread joy around them. And yeah. your, your kind of struggle with the beginning when at, right after your dad had said that and saying, how can you do that? <laughs> I've also had lots of people when, when they ask me what I do or something and I tell them about grief and happiness and they go, how can that be? <laughs> you just can't grieve and be happy at the same time. And so I think that's why I'm kind of out to prove that, yes, you can. And that that's very important that happiness kind of makes the world go around I think. So I I just, I love your story about that. I just, I think it's wonderful. And the other thing that people ask me a lot about is they find that after a loved one dies, it kind of changes their perspective on life. And they'll ask me, so what's my purpose now? What am I supposed to be doing? And they kind of just 
are, are challenged with that. And I know that with me, I, I totally shifted into something different than I'd done before. Some of the things were similar with the writing because I've, I've been a writer forever and taught writing, mm-hmm. still teach writing at the university level. And it just uh, comes naturally to me. So I did that, but incorporating that, being happy with it, I didn't even used to smile that much. And, and when I, I say something to somebody about being happy when, when they're grieving, they're kind of confused and they really look differently at the meaning of life. And you mentioned about uh, your baby being in the moment. And that's, that's kind of the place that I choose to live is, is in the moment. Because uh, that's that's really all we've got. But on on your journey, I saw that it, there was a time in your life that you decided or you discovered what it is that you wanted to do and that you do do and that you do practice now. And it sounds kind of fascinating to me. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I've had a very extensive spiritual journey <laughs> in life, to say the least, Um So when I was younger, I definitely had different spiritual gifts that were awakening, you know, in terms of seeing auras and that kind of stuff. And I definitely, at that time, I would have considered myself to be less of a spiritual person, but always open-minded to it, at least. And so I took more of the, you could say, logistical route. And I thought things like were kind of, I wasn't aware that it was a spiritual awakening process, you know, and so... I started seeing it differently and I would have a little bit of out of, out of body experiences. And even with that, I was like, oh, I'm having seizures, went to the hospital, had like all these scans done. And they're like, nope, you're completely fine. And then years later, I realized I was like, oh, I was actually, you know, having a spiritual experience in that moment. But that wasn't necessarily something that I fully understood, even though both of my parents were very spiritual. So it was interesting. You know, I got all right. I think we choose our parents. So I chose these parents that were very spiritual. I wasn't with it at first, but then as life begins to unfold, I'm like, okay, you know, this is sort of something I have no other, like, it's just unfolding in front of me, how much we are spiritual beings and just how connected we are. And so that's like been a big thing for fueling my mission as a coach. So I'm a holistic leadership coach. And what I really have a passion for is just and you could say in a very blanketed way is normalizing spiritual awakening for people. Cause I really do view us all as spiritual beings and being so interconnected with one another and being interconnected with earth. And it's, it gets me in the mind frame of, okay, how do we use this in every facet of our life? Cause I really think every area of life, whether it be you know, big corporations, businesses, small businesses, families, parenting, say gardening, probably even, I think it's all moving into a more conscious like era or a more conscious way of doing things. And I see a big part of that is just this rise in spiritual awakening, people realizing how connected we are, you know, whether it be to different realms, that kind of stuff, or just, you know, simply with one another, you know, that intuitive hit that I think, I think most moms agree, you know, if something happens with your baby, you're like, oh, I feel that <laughs> like something just happened. I need to go check on them. So it's taking that and expanding it outwards and normalizing it, 
and just embracing it overall and seeing how that leads to us evolving just as humans, you know, in a spiritual way, because we we're evolving so much on a technological basis. And I think at the same point, we're evolving so much just within our own human physiology. So it's exploring both of those with and just, yeah, allowing it to all be there. So because I felt I felt very alone, you know, and partially scared even when I was young, because I would have like ghosts in our house would talk to me. And I'm, I'm like, nobody, none of my like nobody else is here in this. OK, you know, of course, I think I'm going crazy because I wasn't fully surrounded you know, with people or in a community that knew how to navigate that situation, right? So mm-hmm. it's about like learning how to navigate that, normalizing it and saying like, it's okay. And then just embracing us as spiritual beings and using that to fuel, you know, I, and I think that ultimately leads back to our happiness as well. I, I, I truly have this like deep, deep belief that at the core of our essence, the majority of everything that we do is based upon this deeper desire for happiness. So oh, that's a profound statement right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You, you yeah. kind of reminded me of when, when I was a child, my parents worked and I only had one sibling and she was nine years older than me. So she really wasn't around. And Back in those days, we walked a long way to school and back. Uh, and when I got home, the door was unlocked. I wasn't a latchkey child because the, we didn't lock doors where we lived, mm-hmm. just didn't need to. And mom and dad were at work and I would, you know, I'm, I'm talking like first grade, second grade. I'd, I'd go home and it was kind of my responsibility to entertain myself. And so I had an imaginary friend. And at that time, I'm not sure I even thought she was imaginary. I think that she was just kind of part of my life. And I was really grateful for her. And I think a lot of times people have kind of this spiritual connection or or they're they're not aware that that's what's going on. I certainly wasn't old enough to to figure out what that was. Mm -hmm. But I can see now that that, uh, her name was Julie. And she was kind of a a gift to me so that I, I didn't have to be alone. And it it was, it was just a wonderful experience. So I think as, as we grow up, so to speak, or get older, we trying to be rational about everything. And Mm -hmm. that, that makes it a challenge sometimes for people to be spiritual and think spiritually because they, they want proof, evidence, you know, (laughs) what is this right here, right now? where I, I recognize that I've lived a, a serendipitous life because all these things, I don't necessarily know that they're happening at the time, but I look back on that and go, that was serendipity. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was something that made a huge difference in my life that, that came to me and I didn't have any control over it. It was just there and I chose to recognize it. And yeah. It's really um, guided my life in a very positive way. So I, I like what you're doing. I think that's really nice that you can be somebody who can, for people who are curious about this, you can kind of help them on the journey. Is that accurate? Uh, um, yeah, that's very accurate. Yeah. And that's what I really, the, the way it ties into the leadership coaching, especially is because I just have a soft spot for leaders. And, you know, I think 
typically we've kind of been groomed to view leaders as like, oh, it's mainly in the workforce and you kind of have a team and that kind of stuff. But I, I think it's way more broad than that. You know, even I think everybody has leadership within them. It's just sort of that willingness to try something new, the willingness to take charge and make decisions, you know, for yourself. And so I think it's kind of just harnessing this energy within one and connecting with, you know, that whether it be intuitiveness or just kind of like those felt senses of knowing what to do and tapping into that. And okay, how do we use us as spiritual beings to fuel just like our leadership, whether it actually be within a business, you know, or whether it be just like in our own life, maybe you're a leader of the family, you know, within the household, and you're kind of the one that takes charge and sets up the day or that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's definitely, it's just like, how do we ease and support each other in this journey that I think kind of is naturally unfolding and you can't really stop it. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I tried, you know, at points to stop it. And it's just like spirit gets louder and louder until you <laughs> kind of go with the flow of it. Yeah, I, you know, I, what I was thinking about when you were talking about people being leaders my parents were leaders. It seemed like anything they were involved in in their their lives, they rose to the top and and took leadership roles and and whatever it was, whether it was a community organization or the business that they had or whatever it was. And so I kind of leaned toward leadership roles uh, throughout my life, and I could easily step into them because I kind of had learned through example of what it's like to be a leader. The one thing I didn't anticipate, though, and I didn't have the opportunity to talk to my parents about this because they were gone by the time I realized it, being a leader is not necessarily comfortable. What I mm. felt being a leader is, is turning you into a target. Mm. That, that people, I don't know whether people don't want somebody to be in a position of they think they're telling them what to do, mm-hmm. or are they... They want to be right, and so they have to make the the leader wrong for that to happen. <laughs> I know one time I was I was in a, a women's organization, and I was the president, and it was a national organization, and I was the president of our local branch. And the national organization told us that we needed to make some changes in the bylaws to reflect what the national the changes that the national organization had made. So it wasn't like it was a choice. It was something that if you're in this organization, you need to make those changes. And at one of our meetings, we were going to vote on the bylaws change, which should have been no big deal. I wasn't anticipating a big deal at all. And uh, one of the people who was greeting people when they came in, who was somebody who had welcomed me to the organization and been very kind, was telling everybody as they came in, now she's going to tell you to do this, this bylaws change, and we don't want to change our bylaws, so you make sure you vote against that bylaws change. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is this about? And then I noticed that the former presidents of the organization, who rarely came to meetings, all showed up that night, and they all, when we had the discussion, they all stood up and said, well, we're not going to make these changes. And I thought, what? who are you? <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and why is this? But I felt kind of personally attacked. And I thought, why should I put myself in a leadership role if that's what's going to happen to me? Because I was just mm. doing what needed to be done for the organization. And that's that's just one 
example, because I still do leadership roles kind of wherever I am. And I recognize now that that has the potential of happening and it doesn't have anything to do with me. Right. It has to, to do with the, the people that are feeling threatened or doing what they're doing. That's that's their choices in their lives. But I just uh, know that I'm doing the best I can and feel like I'm doing the right thing for the right reasons. And if they don't support me in it, they don't have to. But I actually ended up leaving the organization because I thought, I don't want to be around people like this. And that was a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it was yeah. good. I was, I was glad I was able to comfortably make that choice. The, the people in the organization turned out to not be who I thought they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that's a big, long story. It's just what you were talking about made me, me think about that. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that you see the, like the projection within it. People, mm-hmm. people project, you know, their fears and that kind of stuff. And I do think in that sense that leaders can be an easy target for projections because people kind of, I think it feels safer, you know, to quote unquote, you could say attack or toss your stuff at somebody within that role because of the, just the energetics, you know, behind a leader. And I do think one of the, what you said sparked me thinking this, I think one of the key almost qualities of a leader and whether it be conscious or even unconscious is just like the ability and the willingness to be in uncomfortable situations you know, because that does, it just naturally happens a lot, you know, in life. And I think that's kind of one of the things that separates a leader from a quote unquote follower, you know, followers are more focused towards that, like comfort where leaders are more the willingness to be uncomfortable and neither one is better than the Mm -hmm. other. They're just different in their energetics and they're both totally okay. You know, so I definitely... I want to normalize that as well. It's not like there's this hierarchy, which I think that is a big misunderstanding is that within leadership, there is this hierarchy where I more see it as, no, the leadership is sort of just the role where it's willing to try things differently, you know, rather than stay comfortable in what we know works. That's right. Wow. You you are so wise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's, it's nice to to uh, speak to someone who you uh, have a, such a depth and an understanding. And I think uh, when you were telling me about your your grieving after your dad died and how you kept like forgetting that he wasn't there, yeah. that you go to text him or buy him a present or that sort of thing, because that's just what you'd always done. Yeah. And, I think that happens a lot more than people talk about because they they kind of, I think they're probably surprised when it happens and mm-hmm. it, it can be a, a, a trigger for tears too. And so many times people resist tears and feeling what they need to feel. And my feeling about that is that tears are kind of cleansing. Sometimes you just need to cry so that you can, can deal with something. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That was, I think that was the biggest thing that really led or fueled the whole denial phase that I went in through first, right? So I was just, I wasn't as much like in my body and okay with really feeling through emotions in the way that I am now, because now I I understand that one of the best ways 
to allow an emotion to pass through you is to feel it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you don't suppress it and lock it away and then have it right boil up and trigger you. And so that would happen. You know, I remember very distinctly being in the checkout line and seeing something small for my father or like something he would have used. And I was like, oh, great. Like, I'll get him that for Christmas just to then like realize, oh, wait, he's actually not here, you know? And so that was that was like starting to be a wake up call for me for how much I was kind of living on autopilot and just not really even conscious and just kind of going through the motions of what I knew to do, I guess you could say. And so after that would happen more and more, I was like, okay, it's like, it kind of felt like losing a sense of a grip on reality, you know, because I was living still, or part of me was living in this world where he was almost still alive because I preferred that reality, right? It wouldn't, I wouldn't have to grieve, even though I already was, in a, in a phase of grieving, I do believe that there are the different stages and different levels and everybody experiences them differently. But yeah, that was one of the biggest things that kind of fueled into my, okay, it's time to become more conscious in a way of every action that I do is conscious and within this now present moment and it's aware. And a big thing within fueling that was feeling the feeling you know, of being angry, of being upset, allowing myself that and to cry, you know, and scream and shout. And it was like, okay, after I did that for a little bit, it was like I had, I had allowed it to flow through me, you know? And so that was like an, an honor almost to be able to see, because all my life I had always just suppressed emotions because I like to be happy. I like to have fun. (laughs) So it wasn't really, within me to get down. So I would suppress them. So by really allowing that to feel them and realize that actually opened up a lot of space to then genuinely be happy rather than putting on a mask to pretend that I'm happy or try to trick myself into thinking that I am, then that's what ultimately changed like a big shift within my life. Yes. Wow. I love that. The awareness of what's, what's going on there. I know with what you were mentioning about having a bit of a challenge with realizing that they, they're, they're not actually physically here now. Mm-hmm. I think that can be kind of um, scary to people mm-hmm. because it's, it's really hard to imagine someone you've been with. And in your case with your father, it was your whole life you had been with this person. And for them to not be there, it's just really hard for our minds to deal with that because it's just not, you know, how could they not be here? <laughs> right. So I think that's one of the real big challenges that, that people have after they have a, a loved one transition that the reality of life becomes different to them. Yeah. And, and actually welcoming that and recognizing that that's the way it is can help and being able to deal with it however you need to deal with it right but do deal with things instead of ignoring them or stuffing them away yeah no it it definitely that was another thing that it awakened me to was almost this kind of I would say an attachment that I had to his physical body 
Because, you know, prior to his passing, I definitely would have probably been within that realm. You know, it's kind of a cliche saying like, oh, like they're not here, but they're still here. And it's like, okay, yes, I do agree with that. But then my perception of that shifted once he passed, because it was like, even though I'm very spiritually in tune and every now and then I do have my experiences where I am connecting with him. It's very different without that physical body, because here on earth, you know, that's something that we interact with so much is our physical bodies and just hearing, you know, the voices of our loved one or feeling their energy. It's, it's completely different from feeling within their energy of them having passed on. And so I think that's, yeah, that's like, a, that's a big thing and a big thing that people struggle with. Like I remember, cause I would take like videos and that kind of stuff. And I remember it was probably like a year or so after he had passed that I found a video and just hearing his voice talk. It was like, wow, I haven't heard this in like a year. And that really just like hit And then it hits in another way of knowing like, okay, I will hear his voice again, but it's only ever going to be from like a past memory. It's never going to be in this present or this future. So yeah, it's a totally different vibe. It really is. I I remember when a a friend of mine had recorded something, he was uh, kind of coaching her through something and and she recorded it so that she'd be able to, to use the information and it was about a year after he was gone that she said, I just found this and I thought you'd like to hear it and, and send it to me. And boy, <laughs> it was like the reality of him not being here so that he couldn't talk to me about that. But it was like he was talking to me because since he was coaching her with something, it was like he was coaching me through something at that point. And it was a really powerful experience to, to have that happen. Wow. So I, I think when you're when you can allow yourself to be open, that it makes a, a gigantic difference, especially when you can get to the point where you really do live in the present moment. And I know you understand that because it it, uh, it just makes all the difference in the world. Because I, I used to I grew up with uh, this uh, what I called if onlys, that <laughs> mm. if only this would happen, then my life would be this and. Mm. I, I did that over and over. And it's now when I reflect on times like that, I thought, well, yeah, all the if onlys came to me because I think it was manifesting them by saying that that's what I wanted to have happen. But now I, I don't have to think of if only something would happen in the future because I'm concentrating on what is happening right now and I'm making happen essentially what I want to have happen. And it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's such like a small little, well, it, it can appear small, but it's such a big shift. Yes. It would go out of that if only, which yeah. is such future creation. And I think it's it's a really common thing that people do. Yeah. Well, th- it's been just wonderful talking to you today. I'm glad that you were able to, to spend some time here with us. And uh, did you have anything else to say that you want to get out there before we wrap up here? Yeah, I guess mainly, you know, if you if you take the moment to just pause and breathe and feel like you're going through some sort of spiritual process, you know, even I think going through grieving is such a spiritual process. It's like one, just know you're not alone 
And two, that you can explore the choice to be happy within the process. Absolutely. And to me, that's that's the key thing there. Yeah. You find your happiness, then, then you, you got it made. Everything else just falls into place, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And I look forward to staying in contact with you. I, I think you're a very special person. And I'm going to put in the show notes uh, how you can contact Leah and if you'd like to. And I encourage you to. She's a pretty special person. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's really such a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. I'm very glad that you could do this. And we'll uh, see you in another podcast next week. And I'm, I'm glad you're listening. Thank you. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.